Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray. And today we are back in Santa Monica, beautiful LA. The sun is shining. And today, oh my God, we talk to Robert Hamilton Owens. If you've ever wanted to learn how to develop grit, if you've ever wanted to learn how to develop resilience, stamina, and be able to break through the obstacles that are holding you back from achieving everything you want in your life, then this is why this is one for you. This man, Robert, is the fittest 66-year-old on the planet. He's been a mountain climber, radio and TV personality, keynote speaker, minister, Iron Man, philanthropist, triathlete, and a special operations para-rescueman, and also a father of five, which is pretty much, you know, that's the most dangerous thing you could do these days. He was adopted and raised as a special needs child. He was one of seven of 157 people to graduate the US Air Force Special Operations School for Pararescuemen, which is the Air Force equivalent to the Navy SEAL. He has completed a total of 12 Ironman triathlons with the goal of being the longest active Ironman in the world. He has completed 300 of the Sparta endurance races at age 65, eight day endurance races and raised over $315,000 for the fallen Navy SEALs contractors. He has also completed the SEAL Fit Kokoro 50 hour challenge a few days before his 66th birthday. And in January 2018, he completed the World Marathon 777 challenge. Seven marathons, seven continents, seven days. He is an absolute beast and he's 66 years of age. He's gonna blow every excuse you've ever had out of the water when it comes to not doing the things that you need to. Check it out and list it up. Robert Hamilton Owens. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com i gotta say ladies and gentlemen uh welcoming to unstoppable robert hamilton owens what an honor and a pleasure hey hey it's nice to be here now normally at this stage i say okay give us the 15 second elevator pitch about who you are but (laughs) but i'm actually gonna do you mind if i actually list off i don't know what you're gonna say but go ahead holy shit fittest 66 year old on the planet mountain climber radio tv personality keynote speaker minister you were adopted, but here's where it gets really kind of interesting. You were one of seven of 157 to graduate the U.S. Air Force Special Operations School for Pararescuement. You completed 12 Ironman triathlons with the goal of being the longest active Ironman in the world. You completed 300 of the Sparta endurance, endurance race at age 65, an eight-day endurance race. You've raised over $315,000 for the Navy SEAL fallen contractors. You've completed the SEAL Fit Kokoro 50-hour challenge a few days before your 66th birthday. Uh, in January 2018, you completed the World Marathon Challenge, the 777, seven marathons, seven continents, seven days. You completed the Quest 20-mile beach race and open water swim for Orange County. You got a book coming out. You're a crisis coaching skills, mediation, negotiator. Um, you speak on everything from management, free enterprise, democracy. You are just, you're a beast. You know, if you live long enough, 
<laughs> you end up doing a lot of stupid things. <laughs> Honestly, like, I have so much admiration for who you are and what you've done. But where did it all begin? Like, where were you born, Robert? I'm born, you're in Santa Monica today, yeah. filming. I'm 40 miles south at this beach down that way. It's called Newport Beach. I was raised in, um, by Disneyland. Uh, I was adopted in Santa Ana, which is the town next to Disneyland. Yeah, right. And uh, I grew up there all You were adopted young? Three months old. Okay, nice. Yep. Back then, there was a lot of babies after the Korean War. Right. And guys came home and had relationships, and there were, there were tokens of their relationship floating around. And so there was a Catholic charity that was right next to the Catholic hospital, and if you didn't want your kid, they'd just take them. And so at that time, you could just pull up the shade. There'd be bassinets full of babies. You could have as many as you wanted. Really? Yeah, so they went down and got my sister first, and then they said we wanted a boy, and then they went back down and got... My mom couldn't have any kids. So then they went back down and got a little boy. But I was, it, was, it was a nice thing because I was a special needs kid. So I had really bad knees and really bad ankles and really turned in feet. So uh, they put me in these big boots. Were you club correct, foot or? Huh? We club foot? Kind of. It's, yeah. it's one of these things, you know? Oh, gotcha. And so you get these big leather boots with rods that go way up your leg. And so that's how I grew up in grammar school. With, I could so you run. run them all through school. Yeah. Yeah, right. I got I was, tired of it. I was actually born with my with my feet almost pointing backwards. Wow! And so I I, I had uh, uh, shoes that were basically fixed to a wooden yep. block. Yep. That were the opposite shoe on each one, and I had to wear it every day for yep. like six or seven hours a day. And my mum yep. dragged me around by it. That must have been pretty hard. At what age were you put into that? I was put into that about uh, five, right? And I wore that from first grade all the way through sixth grade. This is really a Forrest Gump story, isn't it? Uh, you know, you you just sort of survive. I think, you know, people that do extraordinary things like Goggins or others all have stories behind the scenes. And I think the rejection of never being able to run and play and kick the ball, um, I just got tired. I remember when they finally let me wear normal shoes, I'd go out to play with these kids and they'd, the, the, you know, they'd choose upsides. And the teacher would say, you pick, and then you pick. And then they get to me, and the, the, I remember the kids going, do we have to take him? And I remember going, this sucks. I mean, I don't like this. And so I think that, you know, you get that stuff inside you. I want to somewhere make my mark. I want to come out. I want to play. I want to be normal. I want to overachieve. I want to prove that I'm not a mess. I think that was in me really young. You got teased a lot at school? No, they just... They just didn't play with you. Yeah, right. There's a thing called tetherball in the United States, and that's a stick, and there's a string with a ball on it. You just hit the thing around. So I played by myself all the time, hit that thing around, you know, while everybody else was running around playing in, in the playground. And that was not fun. Mm. And at what age did you start to get your mobility back? Uh, about 10. Okay. And once you got your mobility, was it like a Forrest Gump story? As soon as you could run, you didn't stop? No. Um, I wasn't very athletic, so I played little little baseball things for kids, and yeah. I was I was lousy, and they'd always put me out in the right field where the ball never got hit. Yeah, <laughs> and then I tried basketball, and that didn't work, and I tried all kinds of stuff, and I just couldn't find my way until my wife—I mean, my wife—my mother threw me in the pool, and when she threw me in the pool, um, she said I just sort of lit up, and so I started surfing at about sixth grade boogie boarding, skimboarding, surfing, because my folks had a house down at the beach. And so I grew up in the water. Oh, beautiful. From the diaper on, I was always in the sand. And when I got to high school, 
a kid said to me, hey, uh, hey, Robert, you want to be a hero? Um, come be a water polo player and swimmer. When you get out of the pool, they clap for you. And I went, really? And so I said, all right, because I surfed. And I said, well, maybe I could learn how to legitimately swim since I'm an ocean guy. And um, had a real great experience. Um, there was a new coach that came to our school, and his name was John Urbanchik, J-O-N Urbanchik, Hungarian. And he was from the Hungarian Olympic team of 1956 in Sydney. And he got word when the Russians invaded Budapest that all those guys on the swim water polo team, including coaches, if they went back as student activists in Hungary, if they went back to Budapest, they'd be arrested. And so as the boat pulled out of Sydney after the Olympics, they all jumped ship, swam back to Sydney, and asked for political asylum. Then those guys dispersed around the world. And John ended up here in the U.S. not speaking much English. And somehow, there's more to it, but somehow the word came that our high school was looking for a water polo coach and swim coach. It was an inland school. by Anaheim is by Disneyland, so mm -hmm. we're about 20 minutes in from the beach. Yeah. So he came. And when he came, um, the world turned upside down for many folks because he was a, you know the Hungarian water polo guys? They're, they're beasts. They're animals. And so he took us, and all of a sudden people started transferring in from all over the, to play and swim for him. Hmm. And so our high school team put two guys in the Olympics, and we had All-Americans every year. Um, and I was, a, I was a swimmer that was coming in in 10th grade. 10th, 11th, and 12th, three-year high school. And these guys were all age group swimmers, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. So when I came in, I couldn't compete. And yet I wanted to be in the water. And so he said to me, hey, Owens, you're not any good, but I like you. Now, if you'll work really hard, you can make this thing, you can make this thing work. Because they had a varsity and a junior varsity, they had a B team. Howard Terry was the B coach, and John Urbanchik was the, was the head coach. As it turns out, those three years under his tutelage, under his coaching, his yelling and cussing at me, um, radically changed my life. And he got hired away from Anaheim High School, went to Long Beach State, which is down here 20 miles. And from Long Beach State, he got hired to Michigan, University of Michigan. And from Michigan, he, got, he became the U.S. Olympic coach. And so now he's in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame huh. as the Olympic coach, but he cut his teeth on us little kids back in high wow. school when he said, I'm going to make you Olympians whether you know it or not. <laughs> so, so we worked wow. and worked and worked, you know. And uh, Was that where the development of your, like, real grit, your resilience was formed? Yeah, he said, he said you can outsmart and outwork talent. And I wasn't a great believer in myself. I mean, I had lots of issues by the time I got there. I've been sexually molested twice by eighth grade. Wow. Um, I, I became a beach lifeguard, um, which is a, where I really had my turning point. But I had my first kid die in my arms, bleeding out aorta um, at 15 and a half at the beach, the, like that pier, our pier down there. Mm. And then I had another lady die on me at 16 years old. Um, it washed off the rocks. It took me 20 minutes to get, pull her body out from under some rocks and she was dead, blah, blah, blah. And so I sort of grew up quickly, but the, but the part that, that sort of changed me was you had to be 16 to be a lifeguard. Right. And Urbanchek said, go try out. 
you know? And I said, yeah. And my, my friends who are lifeguards, because in Southern California, most of the water polo swim guys, they do something at the beach. And so I had maybe four or five guys from our high school that worked at the city of San Clemente. Some worked Huntington, some worked Newport, whoever paid the most. And so I went down on a cold winter day and I had, I had, I had heard that, you know, UCI, UCLA, USC, San Diego State, all these big gun swimmers will come. But those guys are all pool guys. And so I went down and studied the landscape and the tides and what was going to happen. I surfed it. I body surfed it to get ready for, I wonder what happened that morning. And the morning happened in like March, two weeks before our spring break. And so you try out with 60, 70 guys, then they hire 10 guys to go into training for spring break in the next summer. Right. Every year there's probably 10 slots of guys that don't come back. And in going down, it uh, turned out that I ended up getting a first and then another first and then a third place out of three events. Wow. And I was illegal. I was 15 and a half. I wouldn't, I would not be hired. And so my guys went nuts because my lifeguard guys, went, oh, and you know, <laughs> you sweet, man, you knocked this thing out. And Urbanchik had said, if you study, you can beat talent. So at the end of that thing, they were, they, you know, when you run up the beach, they hand you a popsicle stick back then with a number one on it and another popsicle stick with number two on it. So I got two number one popsicle sticks and a third. And they interviewed first, second, third right after the event. Of course, being illegal, because I'm too young, they said, we need to talk to you. What in the world is with you? So they, the, the captain, the chief pulled me in his office and said, what's up? How'd you pull that off? And I told him the story. And I said, and I'd be a great lifeguard because I just live in the summer times down the beach. <laughs> and I, I know this place. And they said, wow, that's unusual. And so I went home and uh, that was on a Saturday. The following Thursday, they called me and they said, would you still like to be a lifeguard? I said, I'm illegal, I'm 15 and a half. And they said, we've gone to the city and we've asked the city to waive the insurance policy because we want you. Will you be a lifeguard at 15 and a half for us? And I went, unbelievable. And everybody just bada bing, high five me like you pulled off the coup, you know? And that's when Urbanchek and the coaches all went nuts like, we told you, if you'll do this deal like we tell you, you can out smart and outbeat talent. And when I, when I got that win, mm. I went, I wonder if I can do this the rest of my life. Because I was a, a poor student and I had self-worth issues and everybody else was better than me and I never got a first in anything. You know, I, I was just an average little kid who wanted to compete with b bad feet that were now good feet. And so I rode crew after that, after high school, was big long boats in the Olympics and ran bunch of stuff and played volleyball and anyway some of my lifeguard friends um, were pararescue reservists and in the u.s you have the active duty guys and then you have the guys that only do it uh, one weekend a month and two weeks a year they're reserve guys and if there's ever a crisis then those guys get called into active mm. and how did pararescue get onto your radar in the first place some of the beach lifeguards have become pararescue right. it was a natural evolution what happens is the navy seals would come by and say right. lifeguard guys we're looking for watermen yeah would you like to be a navy oh, seal a that's an obvious recruiting ground i didn't even think sweet that, yeah. and then the, the chief and the cap say don't do it yet 
here comes the pararescue guys. And the pararescue guys would say, don't believe what the SEAL said. You want to be with us. And so I had about four friends that became Navy SEALs, offense. They wanted to kick butt, take names, you know, kill people and stuff. And there was about four of us who like rescue work. And so we said, no, we'd rather rescue versus go be the first point guys in. Save lives. Save take lives. lives. Different personality type. Yeah. And um, they said to me, starting at 16, you need to be a pararescueman called PJ. And I went, I ain't doing the military. Are you kidding me? I'm smoking weed. I'm skiing. I'm <laughs> lifeguarding. I'm surfing. I'm, I have no time for the Vietnam War. I have no time to go That's play. It's around that time. It's in that time. Wow. In the middle of that time. In the middle of it. Right. So I kept going through college and quitting school and going to college and quitting school, surfing, skiing, not showing up for classes, getting drunk. And about 22 years old, I heard the first, you know, 16 years old when you hear about pararescue. And then all those years, those guys are sort of saying, hey, Owens, we're having massive good times. We're, we're parachuting, scuba diving, mountain climbing. We're doing all this stuff, and they're paying us. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you need to hop in. I'm telling you, you're blowing it. And about that time, after I've wrecked my third car and been in jail and you know, screwing around, I said... So you I, were going off the rails. Well, I was... People said they didn't think I was going to live. <laughs> you know, like one night at a lifeguard party, we all got super drunk with our girlfriends. And so it was a pit, concrete pit, fire. And so these guys got drunk enough to say, well, let's jump the fire. And so let's go skinny dipping and jump the fire. And so me being, yeah, you bet, let's, let's rock. <laughs> we start jumping this fire. But the problem was that when I jumped, there was a guy on the other side that I couldn't see because of the black smoke. And he and I jumped at the same time. Oh, no. And we landed in the middle, but I landed on the bottom. He landed on top of me. In so the from, fire. My, from my chin is on hot coals cooking all the way down my chest. And I'm just frying as he's laying on top of me because I can't get up till he rolls off me. He's not a lifeguard, you know. And so I'm just sizzling. And then when he rolls off me, the only way to get out of that is I had to stick my arm down in the coals and push out to roll. And um, I got cooked. It was my last year of rowing crew at the junior college. I couldn't hold the oar, obviously, or anything. And so I went in the hospital, and uh, actually they threw me in the ocean real quick because you won't burn as, you don't feel the pain if there's no oxygen. So they put you underwater. And then they kept calling the ambulance, nobody showed up. So they grabbed me and put me in a car and drove me to the hospital. And my father said that when he pulled in about two in the morning, he could hear me screaming before I walked in the hospital. No. I was just black. I was cooked. First degree? No, second, first and second. Right. And some third, you know. But people said, Owens, if you don't clean up your act, dude, you're dead. I mean, you just are over the top wild. And I went, I'm just having fun. And they go, a lot of fun, huh? So for the next five months, they're debriding my skin on my arms and stuff, pulling it off. You know what debriding is? No. With burn patients, you heal from the inside out not from the outside in. So if you have scabs, right. you have to heal from the inside out, so they have to pull the scabs off. Yes, okay, yeah. So that it can get the air on it and it can grow back this way versus from the scabs. Right. So every other day you go in, they pull the scabs off all your wounds. Whew. Ooh, no fun. And so when I finally got out of that, someone just said, you know, um, you just need to get your act together. 
And I, the pararescue guys are going, no way. and it didn't matter if it was a war or nothing. I just went, I need structure. I need discipline. I need to change my friends. I, I'm not going to make this thing unless I change. I'm just a surf guy that's just out of control. So when they told me, you know, okay, now if you're going to do this, um, this is what it's going to be like, like Navy SEAL buds. Um, they said, um, they're going to give you the biggest mental beat down of your life. And I was 22. And I thought, I thought it's a physical beat down. And they said, you'll get beat down physically, but they're mentally going to grind you to where you don't know who you are. You need to train for that mental beat down. And so I begin to train like the calluses this is on going your hand. Before you've actually before I went in. Yeah. Like the you showed me your hand earlier. My hands were just ripped after three months. All the skin was off. I was doing push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. I was climbing on rocks. I was I went into working out and I couldn't tell anybody except my pararescue friends, because it was numb. And my parents didn't want me to go in the military. And my girlfriend didn't want me to go in the military. And my college friends didn't want to go in the military. I mean, nobody in their right mind goes, goes voluntarily in the military during war. And so I went dark for about five months and just trained and trained and trained and trained. And my PJ guys would say, what are you doing? And I'd tell them, they go, it ain't enough. More stairs. Run with your 30-pound pack. Eight-mile sand runs. Um... You're just, you don't understand. You've got to collapse while you're training and gasp for air and say, I can do this. So that when I finally said, I'm in, I'm going, my parents had a wake for me. The dinner the night before was not a <laughs> go off the Ar Air Force. They just Thanks, went, mom and dad. You know, wow. This is the most wild of the, of the next adventures of his life, you know? And uh, my girlfriend said, if you go in the military, um, I won't be here when you get back. And I said, no problem. <laughs> I needed help. I mean, I, was, I sold everything, emotionally and mentally, relationally. And so I went in. And as you read from, as you hear from Goggins, or you, Jocko, those guys, back in those days, the instructors were um, brutal. And there was, there was no rules. It was like, we'll figure it out the day. Each day is whatever we feel like, that's what you're going to do. It's not like you have a program. If they got drunk the night before and they're bummed out, you ate it the next day, you know? <laughs> if their wife wasn't talking to them, you ate it the next day, you know? And so we started off every Saturday for, for six weeks or so, you'd have these tryouts. And the tryouts, you had to do these stands over mile run, pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups and stuff. And if you qualified, then you were able to go to pararescue in dock, and that's where they put all the guys that passed their basic standards in. And we had over 150 guys pass the standards to, to start and say, I want to be a pararescueman. And then that there, there's one thing to be an athlete for a day or a week or a season. And it's one thing to work out two hours a day for your sport. It's another thing of a mental grind when you do it eight hours a day, mm. every day, or 10 hours a day, or 12 hours a day, and your body never recovers, you're always sore, you're never, you're never, you never have any, enough sleep, 
and they just grind you and grind you to see how you'll do mentally with the grind. And our big thing was, like one day I'm in the push-up position, plank position, and he, you know, he keeps you there for 10, 20 minutes, and it's hot, and it's in Texas sun, and he just says, Owens, I'm never going to touch you, but I am going to crush you. And you're going to thank me someday for crushing you. Because when you save a person's life, when you didn't quit on them, mm. they're going to thank you that I put you through this. Right, Owens? Yes, Sergeant. And that was the speech that he gave to all of us. And it works with any of the special ops communities. You know who you are when you're in your world and in your zone. But you don't know who you're going to morph into with pressure. Because mm. we're going to take you out of your zone into our zone. Like with the seals, the in and out of the ocean thing is oftentimes to get you to lower your body core and get you to be hypothermic. They want you out of your mind because they know who you are when you're in your mind, but you need to find out who you are when you're out of your mind. And the instructors need to know if you're going to morph into a team guy or an individual guy, you're going to cover your own tail, become selfish, or can you make leadership decisions for your team when you're out of your mind. So we, there's an ambulance right here. We're not going to kill you, but we're going to take you to a place. We're going to try. <laughs> we, we're going to take you to a place where you have no clue, and we don't have a clue what's going to come out of you. Same thing with us, our side. We're going to take you to a place that we need to find out, will you ever quit on your man? Because we can never, ever allow quitters to go forward. Because these other groups, Army, Navy, Marines, or civilians, when they hear a pararescue guy's coming, they're banking their life, oh, it's a pararescue guy. I'm going to live because they never, ever, ever, ever quit. Mm. So when I finished Mark Devine's Kokoro, the 50-hour challenge, this last year, this Navy environment, and I'm an Air Force guy at 66 going in, you know, they're going, I'm going, okay. At the end, when I'm just... So they doubted you going in. Well, you doubt everybody going in. Yeah, right. Because I now work with them. I'm an intern, and I do the 12-hour, the 24-hour, the 50-hour challenges as, as an intern coach. Right. Okay. So I'm, I'm now on the other side, because you can't do that unless you've completed it. Yeah. But when you, when you get there, and they crush you, I said to them, you guys were merciful to let me continue. You could have you crushed me completely out. And they said a really nice thing. They said, you know, Robert, you're the oldest guy that ever do this. We didn't know what you're going to do. We didn't know what, how, we watched you train for three years, but you don't know until the pressure comes what's going to happen. I was fortunate that I had pararescue from my 20s in my bank. How long bank. did you end up being in pararescue? Pardon me? How long were you in pararescue Four. serving? Four years, right? Yeah. I had my 20s and I had 12 Ironmans and I'd passed out a few times in that. I had 11 Ironmans and then 12 after this thing, but I had been through some pressure. And so when I got in this thing, as they ground me, I just went, if I can just stay in the game and all the things that they teach you. Anyway, when I got done, the great compliment was Mark Devine said, um, we knew that you'd never quit because you're a pararescue. You'd rather die first than quit. And I said, yep, at 66, I would have rather died than say uncle. Because I'd had that training to take yourself mentally 
to a place where you can do things that you don't think you can do if you just break it down into bite-sized pieces, 30 seconds or a minute. Can I do 30 more seconds? Can I just do another minute? When you do 50 hours straight, you're miserable from the first hour and you have 49 hours to go. And they're trying to get half the class to quit within the first couple hours. Hmm. So when they get you on the ground and you're, you're, you're crawling through gravel and through dirt and through thorns and ants, and they want to take all the skin off your arms and off your knees in the first hour, just to sort of terrorize you, we got 49 more hours to go. <laughs> yeah. And you're just... <laughs> this is just the beginning. And then they start doing these, these wind, wind, wind sprints up these hills and guys start dropping like flies, you know. The point is, is that for the listeners, all of us can do more than we think we can. Pressure reveals character. And mental endurance and mental toughness is a skill and an art. And you learn to cultivate that craft through hitting it over and over again, like you would, you want to be a pianist, you pay 10,000 hours, play 10,000 hours. You want to be anything, you know, you do your 10,000 hours to be the, the best in the world. If you're going to be someone who embraces pressure as a lifestyle, you hone that craft so that you don't get rocked when stuff comes your way. And most people don't want that stuff coming their way, but life has a way of coming. Mm. Marriage, finance, kids, sickness, parents, yourself. And along that timeline of 20 to 50 or 60, there are going to be, whether you like or not, bumps where you're going to hit the wall. Different kinds of walls. And if you haven't learned to get your head on straight, you'll get rocked and you'll turn to drugs or alcohol. Mm. You'll turn to all kinds of antisocial stuff to mask the pain that you have that you know what to do and the pressure that you have. Mm. So you coach people now. Train and coach. You train and coach people. So how do you work with someone in, in, let's just say, a performance environment, whether it be, you know, whether they're a parent or a businessman or even just a student who wants to do better? Yeah. How do you work with someone to help them develop a level of grit that's required in order to perform with a level of composure under pressure that enables them to push through when they're out of their mind without putting them through like a, a seal fit training, without putting them through like an Ironman style training? Or is that actually what is required or a form of what's required in order to develop that kind of resilience? The only way you're going to develop anything is through working at it. Mm. If, you, if you use your bicep, it'll grow. If you don't use your bicep, bicep it shrinks, right? Um, you, have to, you have to understand that when life comes, you've got to find a mentor or someone that can coach you. What do I do now? I don't want to freak out. I have a spinal bifida kid. What am I going to do? I have an autistic kid. The same pressure that makes one couple blows up another couple. Mm. And so you've got to say to somebody, and Mark Devine on his podcast that we did from the Spartan Games, he said that the challenge is that most men think that they have to be strong, but the insecure men are the ones that have to be strong. The secure men know when to ask for help. Suicide, drugs, whatever it is, PTSD. The, the secure guys know, I can't do all this. I need help. The insecure guys puff up and say, I can cut this. I can make this happen. I can endure this. And they're the ones that usually implode 
because it's false. It's not, it's, it's not on the inside. So interesting. So for me, when I see a guy that's real proud, I look at a coin. And the coin is on the amount of pride that I see on the outside, the bling, the, the muscles, the, the chicks, all the stuff, the, the amount of pride that I see on the inside just means that's the depth of the insecurity on the inside. Mm. Because the guys that got it together don't have anything to prove to anybody. They don't need to be seen, talked about. They don't need, because they've learned how to deal with who they are and their weaknesses too. And so many folks, they don't know how to do this dance between what do I do? I want people to think I have it together. Well, we all do. However, if you try to live that when you don't know what you're doing, you'll, you'll crash. You'll have issues. You'll blow up. So we, we teach in the special ops community, just to, to bring that down a little bit, that there's four ways that you can control your emotions and four ways to get control, have mental toughness and, and mental resiliency. Number one is breath control. Have you ever heard of the parasympathetic nervous system? Yeah. Got it. So you know that mouth breathing, <laughs> falling over your knee, <laughs> it's you're emotionally out of control. If you want to see a winner, he will not breathe out of his mouth. He will get control of his emotions by breathing out of his nose. So that when you come across the finish line, instead of just <laughs> falling on the ground. At seal fit where we work out, you cannot make any noise. You cannot fall on the ground. You cannot put your hands on your knees. You can't put them on your hips. You're gonna, they're gonna drive you and then they teach you, breathe. And it's a different oxygen than the mouth breath. This breath is a, a more enriched form of oxygen Plus, if you're bent over, you collapse your, collapse your, your lungs and you can't get the full extension. So we teach, number one, no matter what your issue is, first, breathe. If you're a Navy SEAL coming down the rope under a helicopter and it's a firefight and you've got all your training inside you, but your adrenaline's going nuts, I'm in the game. Your heart races so fast, it's hard to be able to focus the gun, right? So take a moment. Make decisions, yeah. Get control of your emotions, which is getting control of your breathing. Because when you're focusing on breathing deep, you can't think the negative thoughts are trying to flood your head. You've gone inside like a monk and you've blocked out the external pain because it's hard to do that. It's not natural. And you do that two or three times and the emotions of the panic or the hurt or what I should say but I want to say, you get your emotions to shut down. Then you can recalibrate and you can rethink. So when we put our guys, Air Force guys, because I'm still training Air Force guys today, candidates, or I'm working with market seal fit with these guys who would like to be Navy SEALs before they go in. We put them to a place where there's, they're gonna be exhausted. We want them out of breath to see if we can train them, shut the emotions down, take control of your body and your life. <sighs> 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 
open, lift your hands, get your chest wide. <laughs> so yesterday my daughter called me at 24 and said, Dad, I got really mad. And I said, you know what? When you get mad, you talk too fast. And when you talk too fast, you say the wrong thing and you say it in the wrong tone of voice because you're out of control. And then you got to go back and repent and say, I'm sorry I ever did that because you haven't learned to get control of that stupid thing that's inside you that we all have, which is, I want to do this. I'm jacked up. But if you're not careful, that'll eat your lunch, number one, because you've got to learn how to stay in control in every circumstance. Number two, you do positive self-talk. And for me, to take control of the computer. So when I'm running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents, I train myself to run the marathons with my mouth closed. Wow. Because I don't want to... I don't want to do that. I want to be in control. So you train... Then... I train beforehand, easy day, fun day, looking good, feeling good, Hollywood. This moment's not too big for me. I can do anything. And as you're talking out loud those thoughts, you don't have time and can't have the capacity to think the negative voices that are in your head saying, you're so stupid, what are you doing this for? Right? So I'm talking out loud to myself all the time positive self-talks between the voices that say it's impossible and the voices that say you can do this i don't let those voices encroach on my training and i say great day glad to be here i paid money for this i like this i love this bring it bring it i can do this this moment's not too big for me this is going to be epic and legendary i'm in the game and by the time i do five to ten seconds of that all the negative emotions are gone and the voices are, have been pushed out and I'm back in a positive place. So breathe like this. Don't care what I feel, I can do this. No matter what I feel, I'm a conqueror, I can do this. Thirdly is break it up into small bites and we do mini goals, micro goals. And that is no matter how I feel, can I do 10 more seconds? I can do one more push-up. Can I do 20 more seconds? Do 20 more, just 20 more. And we call it staying in the moment. Mm. Can you stay in the moment? I cannot do 50 hours nonstop, but I can stay in the moment. And I can stay in the moment, and the next moment, and the next moment, and I can breathe, and I can talk, and I can get through this hour. And if I throw up, I throw up. If I collapse, I collapse. But I can do this, and I break it up. We teach them, mm. you can do things because your mental pain is saying, quit, you're overwhelmed, this is too much. Mental pain, because the mental pain comes before the physical pain. There's a book out by a guy named Matt Fitzgerald, and Matt Fitzgerald had a book, How Bad Do You Want It? And he's a Sports Illustrated triathlete magazine endurance writer. And it's a PhD study of there's a different chemical released in your body from physical pain than mental pain. Two different chemicals. First will be the mental pain. I want a divorce. I quit. I hate this boss. 
I can't stand this stuff. The physical things follow what your brain does. If you can get a hold of that mental pain and understand it and practice it, back to your question, how do you do it? You have to practice what do you do when things suck to the point that I'm doing a, I'm doing a conference for maybe 150 folks and I go to HR before and I say, uh, of this company, I say, how many people on meds here for panic and anxiety stuff? Oh, we've got a bunch of folks who are head cases here. They're all on meds. Sweet. Okay. So in the group, I say, anybody here have panic or anxiety or are you medicated because you're just terrorized? Good. Okay. Pretty normal. I say to this one lady, what's your deal? She goes, I've had uh, panic attacks for 15 straight years. And I said, how goes it? She goes, well, I, I take my pills, you know. How, how goes it? You know, it's not the best. I say, and? She goes, my husband hates them. They change me. The pills change me. I say, when do you take the pills? She goes, I go to bed about 9 o'clock and I wake up about 11, 30, 12, and I'm, I'm in a panic almost every night. So I take my pills. I said, would you do an experiment with me? She said, what? I said, when you wake up, why don't you stand up in front of the room here? She goes, we're going to play. And all of you get to watch her because she's going to be victorious and you can learn something. I want you to breathe. She's like about a 35-year-old woman, you know. And she's feeling really, what's this guy doing to me, you know? I go, show me. That's not deep enough. Show me. And I take her through the whole routine. Breathe. I'm okay. I can do this. This is not a big deal. Micro goals. Can I just think now about the next five seconds, ten seconds? And after micro goals of breaking that elephant one bite at a time, then visualization. Can you see yourself sleeping? Imagine seeing yourself now sleeping. She this came back step the, four, is it? Step four, visualization. visualization. Yeah. She came back the next day and said, I did it last night. I didn't take my pills. It worked. And she stood up in front of 150 people and said, it's the first time in 15 years I didn't take my pills. I took control versus that stuff inside me taking control of me. And I have to swallow a pill to kill it. And I went, try it the next night. Let me see. She writes me a letter. I'm off my pills. Wow. So, you know, everybody wants a victory, but nobody wants a battle. Mm. Everybody wants to be an overcomer, but you got to learn how to overcome. So, freedom isn't free. You got to fight for it by learning mentally how to engage in whatever your issue is. Is it the kids? Is it the marriage? Is it the financial stress? Is it the, the boss? Is it you? You've got to learn to wrestle with it. And that's why Goggins is so important because Goggins' message is you have to suffer. Mm. And you cannot get ahead without suffering because you've got to take on that issue that's that thing to you and you've got to wrestle with it. Otherwise, you'll be a lay down and it will it'll take out your life for you. Mm. And that's why I so appreciate David and I listen to almost all of his videos while I train. He's a savage. Because... He's a savage, but he's learned how to focus in on taking that battle and saying, I'm going to wrestle with myself and I'm going to figure out a way to get a win. Mm. And most people don't want to do that. They'll drink, they'll medicate, they'll run, they'll get divorced for the fourth time, whatever it is, because they're not in control of their lives. Their stuff is. And we teach 20-year-olds, get control of your stuff. 
So people say to me, Robert, you're really cold at times. And I go, why? And they go, you don't get rocked. I mean, I go, if you've been trained to put people in body bags, if you've been trained to jump in in horrendous situations, if you've been trained to, to do that, you'll learn how to, everybody else is freaking, I gotta stay in the game. And it works for you your whole life. Now I know how to get out of control too, but it seems like once you learn how to emotionally embrace yourself and wrestle with yourself, and you guys listen to me, you have issues too, and you can, you can think about this, you know, but you're going to have to figure out, you know, where do I want to grow up? And some people never grow up. Mm. Their whole life is whiplash on the end of the tail of something that's just taking them back and forth, rejection and stuff, you know? So like for me, sexually abused twice by eighth grade, by guys. That rocked me. But when I, when I figured it out in the military, it ain't no big thing. Let it go. Unless you want to make it a big thing. Mm. Get over it. Release it. Forget it. It's experience. Chalk it up. Move on. Then all of a sudden, you can sort of wrestle with the pain and the hurt, and the unforgiveness and stuff. Think it through. You breathe. Think, this is not going to take over my life and change me in the wrong direction. Matter of fact, we say... God wants to take your misery and turn it into ministry. That the stuff that mm. has hurt you the most should be the stuff that you work through and that you can help other people with. And share it. And that's why Goggins today and others take that pain, his childhood and stuff, and then go to others. This is how you can do it. It's not just that I'm a Navy SEAL or I'm a pararescueman, but we train young people all over the place. You can make it. You don't have to be rocked like the rest of the population. And it's through that anxiety training starting with breath control mm. that's amazing that's a great process i um i mentioned earlier what are you what are you thinking oh i'm just thinking of the parallels um i um did some work i was saying earlier with mark Cachell, who's one of the chief weapons instructors for for buds and sqt and i remember on the drive out to the range because and i should be very clear the training i did with the navy seals was weapons i didn't yeah. do any running <laughs> i didn't do any crawling it was all it was all weapons and um, I remember on the drive out to the range every day, we'd have these incredible, these epic conversations. Right. And one of the first conversations we had was, I was like, so how did you, you know, how did you get in? And he told me his story. And he, I said, so, but how did you make it through? He goes, I just kept telling myself, if you really want to quit, you can just quit in the next break, but just wait till the next break. And he said, and the break would come and I go, well, I'm still alive and I'm just going to keep pushing. And then he started telling me about how the, all the research had been done into the profile, the psychometric, the psychological, the biophysical profile that they were doing to put people in. And I went and did my own research. And I discovered it's not cheap to build a Navy SEAL. Like it, it costs, I think from memory, in order to get someone to the third year to dev team, I think it's about $2.5 million US dollars. And so I remember reading this article how the US military, they were like, we're spending all this money you know, putting 400 guys in at a time and 80% of them are flunking out in the first six weeks. We've got to find a way to improve the system so that we don't have all these guys flunking out, like the, the seal fit system, right? Um, so that we, we're getting a better bang for our buck. Right. And so they introduced all this profiling and testing and everything else. But still, 80% of the guys were flunking out. And I said to Mark, I said, what is the key difference? Like, what is the difference between a guy who says uncle and rings the bell 
and the guy who's able to, you know, push through it and make it through those six weeks. And he said, it's the guys who have the ability to suffer and actually be okay with it. He said, you know, the word that we throw around is, is grit. And I said, so how do you train someone for grit? And he goes, well, that's the, that's the, that's the $2.5 million question. He said, and to be honest, we're still working that shit out. So my, well, where my curiosity lies is you know, when you look at grit, it, you know, I often look at grit like a, it's an element of motivation. Mm-hmm. When you look at motivation, are you familiar with um, Dan Pink's work at all? Mm-mm. Okay, so he looks at this model of motivation. You know, there's two types of motivation. You've got your extrinsic motivation, which are people who are ex- motivated by things on the outside. And you've got people who are intrinsically motivated, who are people who are motivated by things on the out- inside. And the key difference between the people who are motivated extrinsically, they're the ones that are constantly up and down. Because unless the environment is completely right, sure. they're not going to push through. And then you've got the intrinsic, and these are the people that can perform under any circumstances because it doesn't matter who shows up. I'm doing this because this is something I really want to do. And so, I, I, and I remember looking at that model, and, and there was a big conversation around, can you train someone to become intrinsically motivated? And it's like, you can, but where the real, where, where the real potential to develop that intrinsic gift comes from is in early childhood development and it's how they are developed and how they're you know in those first seven to 14 years how their reward systems are set up and it's not impossible to develop an intrinsic motivation beyond that but where you're really looking to establish it is in those first 14 seven to 14 years and so i'm curious from your perspective you get to see that you get to see pararescuemen you get to see seal guys you get to see them all day long and i'm curious to know from your perspective and again it's all subjective do you think grit is something that you either have it or you don't I think you have it and you can develop it. Leaders are born and leaders are made. I think that you're born in those first 14 years uh, to be able to embrace the kind of stuff that you get in those first 14 years. I believe though that there are guys who come into their maturity later on Mm. and if you say to them, what do you want to do and what's your why? How bad do you want that? then they'll say, I really want it. I'll do anything to learn it. I think you find both. And so we see guys who, especially like with Mark, if you'll go train there and let him, um, in those days, put you through that, um, you can gain confidence. And that confidence builds. Some guys come in scrappy, you know, we find, you know, and we're always amazed, every class, SEALs, Rangers, we never know who's going to make it. The good guys all quit. The, the beasts, the, the studs, the smart, the, they quit, it seems Loud like. Ones. Because they've been used to being so good that when they get rocked, that they're not so good, they're psychologically wounded because mm. we've never been like this before. This is not us. I'm, I'm the champ. I'm number one. Why aren't I now? And then for that to happen day after day after day that they're now lowered into the pool, that mentally, I don't like this. I've always been on top. And they, mm. they collapse. But on this thing, if you can take a Just sick, on that point, is that where you think it's important to know how to lose? You bet. And as you know, Maxwell, John Maxwell or somebody would say, you have a choice to fail forward or feel back. Mm. And the deal is, is that in Matt Fitzgerald's book on how bad do you want it, he takes Tour de France guys, Ironman guys, marathoners, Olympians, who have not made it. They've quit. And they do an autopsy on the guy, why'd you quit? What happened? What wall did you hit? Blah, blah, blah. 
Then that guy has gone to a trainer and said, take me through that experience again. Mm. One girl, you know, she blew up somewhere in some bike race or something. So she moved to the Alps for one year and hired a trainer to take her up and down the Alps on the bicycle through as much pain as he could give her. When she came back, she just said, is there a problem? And she won this Olympic sprint triathlon, <laughs> not even training, because she had been up and down, just broken up and down by this coach that when it came time to do this other stuff, that was a mm-hmm. piece of cake. So we say to guys, if you want to get it, you may have it naturally, you may have, have part of it naturally, or you can learn it now. How much time do you have for us to, to work with you, to, to break you, or to, to take you places that you don't want to go, but we'll show you that you can make it if you don't quit. Mm. But most of you will quit when that mental pain begins to tell the physical pain, you're both correct, let's get out of here. And that's what we try to find out with kids is do it again. Do it again. You do said again. something key there. and I'm, I'm not, What did I, I say? What did you I said, say? Um, we're going to break you. Is being broken an important part of the development? I think there's a, there's a recognition of... Or broken down. Broken down. I think that there's a recognition that you're at your limit. Mm. Your known psychological limit. And then have someone say, there's so much more, more in you. Get up. We believe in you. Let's do some more. And I, when you see that light turn on in somebody's eyes, that they didn't die, they breathed. Oh my God. So like I'm going down to seal fit at 64 years old and there's all these guys that have done the 50 hour challenge. And they say, what are you doing here? And I say, I want to do this. And they go. <laughs> and so I'm training with them and they're watching me, you know, five days a week, 6 a.m., Saturday mornings, 8 a.m., watching me. So this guy says to me, who had done Kokoro. Is there like a bit of a pre, pre-training camp before the, the actual 50 hours, eh? No, he had a gym that was open seven days oh, a week. Oh, okay. But the guys in the gym have done the 12, have done the 24, have done the, the 50 hour, and then they're just normal guys. They are just now normal guys, but they've got this thing in their, in their history, you know, they've done it. So they watch <laughs> me. So this one guy who's done it, he watched it, we have this really hard Saturday morning workout. I mean, I'm, I want to bend over on my knees but that'd give you 50 more burpees if you do that, you know? You don't, you don't show pain. You don't suffer publicly. Just walk away from everybody. Just get, but if they see you doing some of that gyration, why? Because they, you never show your enemy weakness. Mm. Never show weakness. Never let anybody see the weakness. Maybe there, don't show it. So I wanna die at the end of the Saturday morning workout. And this guy says to me, how you doing? And I go, well, tough workout today. And he goes, you want to do it again? I go, again? He goes, yeah. That was the 8 o'clock class. You want to do 9 o'clock? And I went, <laughs> he goes, let's go. And we do a repeat of what was just this horrendous workout. And I found that my running time was faster. Wow. You know, I found that I did it. And I got done. He goes, Sweet, building block. And I went, I didn't think I had that in me. I didn't think I could do that. And he goes, none of us did. You'll get it. 
and I went like the way of the warrior, you know. <laughs> just, oh, that was sort of, that was interesting, you know. So then, so then they say, if you're getting ready for Kokoro, you need to show up at six and do that workout. Then at seven, you need to spend another hour on your body weight strength, strength stuff, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. Then you need to go do at from eight to nine, a nice 10 to 15 mile run, do repeats. I go, really? They go, yeah, you can do it. And Mark Devine comes up to me and says, Owens, you're gonna crush it. And I'm just, I am? I mean like, you think so? I'd be, I'd be nervous <laughs> if he said that. Like I'd be like, fuck, now it's all the pressure. Yeah, I mean like, <laughs> are you lying to me? You setting me up? Yeah. You're gonna crush me when I get there. You know? And I go, okay, Mark. He goes, you'll be fine. And I went, He's a bullshitter, but I <laughs> want to believe him. He's bullshit. <laughs> but I want to believe him. Yeah. Real bad. And so I start knocking out these workouts, you know? When I get out there in that middle of 50 hour thing, they put me in a backward, I had to crawl up these stairs at 3 a.m. in the morning <coughs> at the end of the second, so I'm at, I'm at the 35, 40 hour mark, been up for 40 hours. We're doing nonstop wind sprints up and down the beach and lunges at three in the morning on our second night. And they take us to these stairs and the stairs are like 50 stairs high and they want you to back up and put your legs up on the stairs and you have to bear crawl up them. Just so everyone's listening, this 50 hour challenge, you don't get to sleep. No, there's no sleep, it's constant. Why? Because they found out in the Navy SEAL training that in Hell Week, if the guys could make it to Tuesday night, so it starts five o'clock on, on a Sunday night. Sunday, yeah. All hell breaks loose. There's the first day to the next night. Then there's the second night and day that if the guys could psychologically get to the 50, almost always they would make it to Friday. Mm. It was a psychological breaking point between 36 hours and 50 hours. Yeah, right. It was a pain that they had never, ever imagined. Huh. Mentally, yeah. Can you stay in the moment? Just do the next thing. We won't kill you. Just do the next thing, and they press through. So Mark then set up a program. We're going to take you to the fifty-hour mark because that's the so the demarcation. If you're going to make from Friday from Sunday night to Friday night, the whole week without sleep. When Mark, I'm rabbit trails, but when we get to done the fifty hours, he says to our class, "There's you know thirteen left or so." Out of how many? Oh. 35, 40. But he says, how many would do another day with me? And we just all looked at each other and went, bring it, we'll do another day. And he went, you see, you didn't think you could do this, but time becomes irrelevant when you stay in the moment. Mm. There is no such thing as time. You don't need, it, time goes to day after day after day. It, if you stay in the moment, and just do the next thing and breathe and self-talk and micro goals and visualize the next minute, you can go for a full week with no sleep because it's not too big for you. You just, one more at a time. And when he said to us, I'm not gonna take you another day, but that's the biggest win of your life. You'll never be the same because you now have gone so far beyond your limits and you're standing and you're doing good that nothing can rock you now. And we went, that is nuts. 
because we could have gone another day. Didn't want to, but we've been miserable since the first hour, <laughs> right? If you just, okay, guess we'll do it another day. <laughs> just do what we've been doing. Back to that thing. So I'm going up the stairs. Backwards. Backwards. In a back roll. It's a, it's a plank. Up. Haven't slept in over 24 hours. 35. 35 hours, <laughs> working constantly, painting the picture. And we've been in and out of the Pacific, so we're really cold, you know. Then they get you on the stairs, and the sweat begins to roll off your face, off your body, goes to real hot real quick because you're just working so hard. And as I'm going up this thing, the instructor is yelling at me, you fucking embarrassment, Owens, you fucking loser. Why don't you quit? You know, you don't belong here. Who do you think you are? And they've been doing that for 35 hours. Every two minutes, you're a fucking nothing, you know, just to see if they can get in your head mm. and get you out of your game. Because in a war, nothing's positive. And if it was a positive situation, that'd be nice. But when things are going on and you have to improvise stuff, there may not be anything positive for a long time. You're having to find a way to win in the battle. So they want to get you into a negative environment where everything is tearing at your mind saying, are you sure if we can get in there and steal your why and steal your, your talent and your ability and your training, we've got you. So I'll do anything to mess with your head. So I'm going up this thing and I get to the very top and this instructor looks at me and goes, I mean, I was so slow. And he just looked at me and said, Owens, you did it. And I went, and he goes, there's a beast inside you. And I went, what is inside me? What is inside people? What's inside our capability that we have no idea that lives in there? That we can take kids and we can train them how to go beyond anything they've thought and they can become winners in life and they can handle things that normally they would implode. All to that question, can you grow them? I think you can. But there are some who've been so scrappy and fighting all their life just to stay in the game that they love the fight. Mm. You know, <laughs> I love to take the top guys out. They'll crumble, that, that personality. Yep. So it's a fun thing to watch both. And this last Navy SEAL or NASPER, last per rescue class I was at, I said, who made it? And they went, guess. And it was all the guys who all went, no way they did. And <laughs> <laughs> they just hung in there, you know, and had that, had that grit, had that thing. And they'd either learned it before they came in or they had it from fighting all their childhood. Mm. But it's a fun thing to watch. And then you tell the kids that didn't make it, you did great. We're for you. We're happy for you. You're in the 1% of the 1% to even try this. If you want, come back in two years and try it again. Go train. We'd love to see you again. Versus crushing them like you should never show it up. Thank you very much for your service and come back. You've done so many epic things. Like all of the, the, the mental and physical challenges you've done, was <clears throat> Silfit the, the, the biggest challenge to date? Yeah, it's, it was. If I'd known, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. So you wouldn't do it again? No. Well, <laughs> it wouldn't be fair because when you're with 18 to 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds, you don't want to be slow. And I was slow. I mean, I was the slowest runner. Um, I just, you know, they were, they were merciful to let me stay with my team. I was great in PT. I was great in push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. I had a real win. I knew that, that for me, core was going to be everything. And so, um, I had so surgery on this shoulder 
And then I lost six months in training and had to come back. And then I tore off this shoulder before Kokoro. So I knew I had surgery after it if I could get through Kokoro. And so when I, when I wrecked myself, I just went to core. And I did all kinds of core work. So when we got into this PT stuff, we were on the, the last morning, like about 8 o'clock in the morning. We've been, what, 44, 45 hours. And our instructor said, um, there's a bunch of stories, but the instructor said, uh, let's do uh, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. Or not pull-ups, push-ups, air squats, and, and uh, whatever. So we're in the grass. And so he says, let's, get, let's have 50 uh, sit-ups. I cranked them out. You know, you guys did it so well, let's do another 50 bring it guys are he starts yelling what the fuck's wrong with you hey what do you think it is 44 hours is gonna be your issue let's do another 100 150 you know what you guys suck let's do another 50 let's do another 50 fuck you if you can't do them together if you can't do them right we're gonna do it till you get it together and then he says and i just you know i hate the language but but what the fuck? Why can't you keep up with the 66-year-old? <laughs> He's smoking every one of you in here. Can't you keep up with him? And I just go, Still bring good. it. <laughs> so we get the 350 sit-ups nonstop. Wow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and he goes, all right, that's good. Because they, they want to see if they can get your head mm. where you go, oh, I can't do it anymore. You just do it. One of the things that's fun is they... Uh, the last morning they give you a hot breakfast because they want to see if you emotionally will just scarf it, just power it and not be smart. Mm. So the goal is to get you to puke with the events that come after the breakfast. So if you lose control and you go, oh my God, I haven't eaten this, and you just start powering the stuff, pancakes and all this crap. <laughs> wow. Then they set it up fun. that the next thing is sprints and stuff. And so for me, he, go, he, says to, he says, Owens, God, you're fucking ugly. I want you to go stick your face in that mud puddle and blow um, mud boogers, mud bu bubbles. <laughs> no problem. Sergeant, love to. Or instructors, love to. I go stick my head. Blah, 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 blah. I put all this blood, you know, and I go like this, you know, and I stick my head up and I go, <clears throat> and I shoot at the instructor, you know. Bring it. You can't touch me. And he goes, now go eat your breakfast. So I had to eat with this dripping mud on all my food, you know? <laughs> so I had to go, but I'd, I'd learned, if you do your research, don't eat the food. Yeah, right. Don't, don't eat the carbs. Yeah. Eat the protein. Eat the bacon. Eat the eggs. Don't eat the heavy stuff. It's hard to puke. The light protein stuff will come out. It'll slide out. But the heavy stuff, like potatoes and stuff, hash browns, and bleh, that stuff takes work. So... As soon as we get on the deal, they have wind sprints, all this stuff. And then they say, Owens, how's your back? There's another story there, but I go, my back's great. My back was just toast. I had, I just went out on me. And the guy looks at me and says, you know, Owens, I want you to go give me six, 16 running somersaults in that wet mud as fast as you can and get your ass over here. And I go, this will be interesting. I'm 60, 66. I'm doing this on my birthday. 66. And he wants me to jump in this mud puddle with grass and run and tumble and do this thing, knowing that the food's in there, right? He's trying to see my back and see if he can get me to puke. So I get to the end of this thing, and I stand and look at him. I'm just dizzy, and he goes, get over here. 
how was that? And I go, God, I love that, Sergeant. Appreciate it. What else do you want me to do? He goes, 16 more. <laughs> so, so I do 16 more of these <laughs> as fast as I can. It's not fast enough. It's not fast enough. <laughs> get up, you know, you know, get your ass over what? He goes, What do you think? And I went, I loved it more. And he goes, get that fucking smile off your face. Next, you're gonna get to be a log. You stick your hands above your head and you're now gonna roll as fast as you can away from these two guys that are gonna chase you rolling. Meaning, three guys should be puking, right? So, ready, set, and if you, whoever loses is 50 burpees. So if you can't catch them, 50, if you catch it, 50. So I, I do this rolling thing, you know, around this big grass, trying to get away from these guys, and they never catch me. <laughs> I'm going, cha-ching, you 18-year-olds, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but when we, but the three of us stand up, there's all these guys puking, just puking their breakfast, you know? And I went, oh God, I'm so glad that I didn't do that. And the point was that they want to see if you emotionally can stay in a place where you do the right thing so versus smart. what your emotions want yeah. you to do. Comfort, my first comfort. Mm. And we all watching this and listening, we all have comfort things that we, mm. just let me have, gin and tonic. Let me have that glass of wine. Let me just have that meal. Let me just have that steak. Let me have that beer. You know, something. And then, is that what's best for you? How, you know, how much discipline do I have to have? As much as you need to learn to have in that kind of a moment. Mm. So, those are kind of things that we work with kids. And we say, can you learn this stuff? Because it'll help you in your marriage. It'll help you with your family and your job and Everything, if you can just get these basics down on how to stay in control versus emotionally getting out of control. Mm. Did I ramble too much? No, it was beautiful. Sorry to all of you out there listening. No, no, no. Um, and I just want to ask one more question before we wrap up. I know I said I don't know and we're going a little bit over and I apologize. Um, two things that you mentioned earlier that were missing from your life that you became very conscious of that was essentially allowing it to kind of go to the places where you ended up in a fire pit, you know, being cooked like a marshmallow. Structure and discipline, you know, and this is a common theme. I, you know, you hear it from Goggins, you hear it from Jocko, you, you know, I hear it from anyone who, you know, has has, has developed a level of a level of grit. Um, so what I'm curious to know is um, when it comes to structure and discipline, there's a lot of people out there right now who may not have structure and discipline, but they also may not have the opportunity to go and, you know, perhaps do a para uh, course or go and do a seal fit training, mm -hmm. but they know that they're lacking. Mm -hmm. How does someone start to introduce structure and discipline in a way into everyday life that they can use as the basis to build upon, to build that structure and help you. Because one of the things I personally learned, because I've, I've got a, a history of addiction, and I know for me personally. You too? Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of all. Obsessive compulsive and just boom. PTSD, <laughs> I got all the fucking If you're going to do it, do it. Yeah, if you're going to do it well. <laughs> Um, and, but, but, but it's interesting because when you, when, when, you, when you consider how important structure and discipline is in order for us as humans to be healthy, it's something that is very absent you know, from a lot of people's lives and it's very evident by the way that they live. So I'm curious from your perspective how you could introduce as a, because I know you, this, is, this is your jam, right? How would you introduce from a coach, as a coach, like if you can see someone go, man, you, you need some structure, you need some discipline in your life as a foundation, don't even worry about grit, let's develop some structure first, let's get some discipline in place and then that in turn may, might help develop some grit. How do you, where do you start for someone who's just got no structure, no discipline, but they're conscious and they want to? That's a great question. 
Um, discipline starts with saying no. If you can't say no, you can't say yes. Where in your life do you need to say no? So that you can learn to say yes. And that's that battle. Discipline is to do the things that you know you should do, but you don't feel like doing or want to do. We all have those. Maybe you and I, the Max is obsessive compulsive guys, you know, we need to learn how to say no to lots of stuff. <laughs> um, well, if I was to say to the listener out there, you know, where do I start with discipline? You all know, we all know where we need to say no. Is it the donut? Is it the cigarette? Is it the staying up late? Is it hanging around with certain people? Where are the areas that you know in your conscience, in the back of your little brain, that little voice goes, you shouldn't do that. Why are you doing that? You do that, you're going to screw up. Losers hang with losers. Winners hang with winners. Excuse-minded people find other excuse-minded people to be their friends to comfort them. Mm. So... I know that when I want to embrace discipline, that's an oxymoron, I know that when I need discipline, I need to go to the things that I need to say no in so I could say yes. Mm. So if it's a if it's a if it's a exercise thing, I know I need to say no to something so that I can begin to do a walk on the block at night where I've never done one before. Start at the level that you can and say, I'm just going to do one thing today that I would not normally do, which means I'm going to say no to something today that I really want to do in order to make the thing I'm going to do worthwhile. And the biggest wrestling that a person has in their life is with their conscience because it says no. We know the things that we don't need to do, don't want to do, shouldn't do. We, we're, not, we're not stupid. We just like them. Or we're, we're too defeated to try again because we failed before. And so I personally need help. I need friends, coaches, mentors, who will remind me, hey, Robert, you can get off the rails pretty easily. Who are you hanging with? What are they like? What is it you want to grow in? Hang around people that are successful in those areas and it will get on you. So just figure out where you want to be successful. Find people like that. Is it say no to food? Is it exercise? Is it making more time for your kids? Is it getting a date night with your wife and you're blowing it? Find people, like for me, with five kids, my dad never talked to me about money. He just never did. He just took it for granted that I would probably figure it out. So I saw guys that had kids, and they were really training their kids well in money, about value and things and and depreciables and uh, appreciables and all that stuff, rich dad, poor dad stuff. So I went to a guy and said, hey, listen, I don't know how to do what you do with your kids. Will you teach me? 
I'm 35, 40, 45. Will you mentor me, please, in money? He said, sure, what do you want to know? I said, I don't know a whole lot about securities. I don't know a whole lot about the stock market. I don't know a whole lot about stuff. He said, yeah, what do you want to know? So he began to talk to me about money. And I went, thanks. He goes, no problem. You help me in your stuff, I'll help you with my stuff. Sweet. I went to another guy and said, you raise really good kids. One's a doctor, one's a lawyer, one's a dentist, three boys, all overachievers. How do you do that? He said, this guy, read these books and let's have coffee. So I went to him and in humility, teach me, you know? And so I found that if I would show humility and ask for help, people were more than willing to try to help me. But my ego said, don't let anybody know that you don't know what that issue is. Make it look like you know everything and hey, we're all good, right? Even though I'm drowning, we're all good, right? And when the humility came, I need help, my world changed. And so I live today with, I have lots of needs and I need a lot of help. And I may be the most screwed up guy I know, but I'm not afraid to confess and say I'm working on my stuff and I need lots of help. Most people can't do that because they got the facade. Mm. I'm together, I got the car, got the wife, got the husband, got this, got the bling, aren't I cool? And they're a, they're a shallow, honeycombed person inside that doesn't have what they think they've got. Mm. So, Is it important to know when to be humble and show humility? Is it important to know when to be vulnerable? You bet. Because you know, I see parallels there, like yeah. when you're in the game, when you're, when you're in, in the battle, it's game face. You game don't face. show weakness, you don't game show, face. but when you're off the field, that's where- Training. Yeah. In training. In training, in training, key, key distinction there. Yeah, in training, you know, hey, how'd you do that set? And, How'd you do that run? How'd you do this and that? How'd that? Training. But in the game, you better have learned in training mm. how to keep your game face off that on that nothing's going to rock your world because they're going to try to knock it off your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the game is, and you have to love the game. Yeah. You just have to love the game of it. But I hope that your listeners, whatever age you are, I mean, I'm 67, so you, can, I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I'm a grandparent. <laughs> Shoot me if you don't like it. <laughs> Um, you remember in the, in the Raiders of the Lost Ark when, whichever one it was, when he, he's, he's walked across the steps and they go, boom, and they, he stepped out in faith and they go, boom, they, they were there. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. And then you remember the one where he gets and he had to go in the tunnel. And in the tunnel, um, the first guy went in and the head come rolling out. Yeah. And then the second guy went in and the head come rolling out. And, and I think the thing was, uh, the penitent man will pass. That was the, on the, the penitent man will pass. What does that mean? And Harrison Ford goes, oh, and he got on his knees and he went in, instead of standing up, he went on his knees in that thing and he made it. Meaning humility is a good thing in that moment because all the guys standing up thought they had together, all their heads. And when I'm in that movie, I felt like God said to me, hey, Robert, stay on your knees, dude. Mm. Stay on your knees. Just stay on your knees. There's a time to be a stud and there's a time to stay on your knees. And more times than not, you need to stay on your knees and ask questions, be nice and listen and ask for help. There are game days when you need to stand up. 
but you'll stand up much better if you've learned beforehand, you know, how to pay your bills and mm. how to say you're sorry and how to ask for help and how to go to AA meetings or whatever it is you got to do to find people that can encourage you in that place that you need help in. That's beautiful. Do you know where I started when it came to introducing uh, structure and discipline? I started with just making my bed. You know, because that was one thing I realized that I just, you know, my house is a mess. And that went from making my bed to making sure I cleaned the kitchen every night before going to bed. And then just bit by bit by bit, it grew. But it just started with something as simple as making my bed. As simple as that. Yeah. As simple as that. I think that you know that there's a, there's a, a video on YouTube that's Yeah, been, the Navy's, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he I said the first thing. That. I almost cried. Yeah, yeah. make your bed. Just make your bed. Just make your bed, dude. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Perfect. Mm. Robert, this has been an absolutely enlightening conversation. I have a feeling we're going to have to do a, a follow-up interview for Well, this. I don't know. we have to ask them what no, they you, think. I know exactly. I know good content. You guys need to tell him. Was yeah. this any good or not any good? Tell us. Actually, I'm going to get better at this. <laughs> tell us in the comments below. What do you think? I want to see in Sydney sometime. <laughs> well, I, I would actually love to talk to you about getting you to come to perhaps come and speak to some of our community because I think you've got an incredible story to share, mate. Well, uh, and I feel very honored to, to be able to share time and space with you, especially somewhere so beautiful. Now, I know you've got a book coming out. Uh, what's the name of the book? It's called Beyond Average. Beyond Average. And yeah. do we have a, a date? This month. This month? Yeah. So the, by the time this goes to air, it'll, it'll be ready to go? It'll be ready to go. Where can people go to find out more about you, your book? My website um, is Robert Hamilton Owens. Hamilton like the stage play? Yeah. Or Hamilton like our U.S. president? Right. RobertHamiltonOwens.com. And uh, my kids think it's a goofy website, and I listen to them. And, but anyway, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a website. And on there, you'll see the cover of the book. And the, I chose that name because I've always been average. Mm. I've never been a winner. I've never won at anything. But I survived that lifeguard thing, and I survived pararescue and I survived an Ironman, and I survived something else, and all that average kept going, wow, maybe you're not as average as you think you are. And you I want win to- everything, Win anything, but you finished everything. Right. Mm. And I want to encourage people that there's a lot of folks that don't feel like they can compete because they're not the brightest, or the smartest, or the prettiest, or the handsomest. But if you just push the average envelope with a little bit of that discipline, just keep pushing it, who would have thought that I could have done all that stuff when I just never felt like I had much in me? The good guys should have done that. The gifted guys should have done that. But we have this 20x principle inside of us. There's 20 times more potential in us than we've ever allowed someone to bring out of us. And I've, I've just, like you, I need someone to help bring that out of me in my 20s, my 30s, my, in my 60s now. I still need someone to bring that out. Otherwise, I'll act like a senior mm. and feel like a senior and dream like a senior or don't dream. And I need people around me that are in their 60s going, hey, dude, smoke them. Let's keep going. <laughs> let's power through. Let's, let's see what we can't do. Like Goggins. I love Goggins. He always goes, what if? And when they throw that thing down to me, what if? And I go, what if? And as soon as it's a what if, that usually... I'm in, you know, if it's just a, doesn't seem right or normal, but I wonder if that's what I live for, that's like you. Fucking epic. Are you on social media as well? Instagram, Facebook? I'm on Facebook. It's Robert Hamill, or it's Robert Owens Iron Man. Robert There's Owens. about a thousand Robert Owenses out there. Yeah. 
but I'm Robert Owens and I put Iron Man at the end and people, kind of, I have lots of military and I have lots of um, guys and I have lots of uh, athletes Mm. And I try not to post stupid stuff. I try to post something that's going to be encouraging. If I'm going to say something, yeah. it has to be something that's relevant and builds up versus just small talk. I think I don't, I don't like Facebook per se. I'm not. A, I'm not. Yeah. A, every day I got to do my deal. Yeah, I'll pay somebody to do that or something. Yeah. <laughs> I got too many other things to do. But but it's if I'm going to post it. something, it's going to have to be like they all go. Wow, thanks. You know. Awesome. Robert, thank you so much for your time. Sure. Appreciate you coming on Unstoppable. Thank you for watching him. <laughs> Let us know your comments below. What did you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see you next time. Man, that was This fun. episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, KerwinRay.com and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.